Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? <coughs> Wonderful. Well, we're going to be continuing our look at Ephesians 1.1, and today we're going to be looking at us, the saints, and how we're called to be faithful. So before we get too far along, let's bow our heads and pray. Father Almighty, you're an incredible God, and Lord, as you're Holy Church, your bride, we come before you, and Lord, we cry out, Abba, Father. And we thank you so much for being our daddy. We thank you so much for caring for us the way you do. And Lord, we thank you so much for the great love that caused you to send your son down and grant us salvation. But it didn't stop there. We also thank you so much that you gave us your spirit. You gave us so many blessings all because of your love. We thank you so much for this goodness, Lord. And so, Lord, we just right now want to give you our hearts and give you this time that you may be glorified, that you may be praised, and that uh, we may uh, discern what you would like us to learn today. Thank you so much for being our Father, our God, in Jesus' name. So as I mentioned this morning, we're going to be looking at saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 1.1 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So we're going to really be looking at this phrase here, saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so as we consider that, we're going to look at the word saint. But what does it mean to be a saint? Well, a saint is essentially this, that you are a child of God, that you are a Christian. All Christians are saints, and all saints are Christians. So the Bible teaches us that if you give your life to Christ, you are a saint. Now, the world would have us believe that a saint is somebody who is extra special and does extra good deeds and, and, and does things that are extra pleasing to God. And therefore, because they were this extra special person, they were given this title of sainthood. But that's not really true. God calls all that are in Christ Jesus a saint. And so as saints... That means we have a particular characteristic about us. There's something unique and special about us. Well, the first thing that I want to point your attention to is that a saint is a child of God. We looked at that last week, that it's by the will of God that we become children of God. Not by our own will, not by the things that we do or the things that we say. Not by anything special about us, but by the mere love of God. He has called us to be his children. We look at John 1, verses 12 and 13. And John writes that there's a peculiarity about the children of God. 
he writes this, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So we see from Scripture that it's nothing that we do, but it's something bestowed upon us by the love of God. God calls us, we respond, and we become his children. This is something that he preordained, predestined, if you will, before time. Before the earth was created, he knew who his children would be. So as we look at that, we understand that a child has been called by God and becomes a child of God. In addition, this child of God is a saint. As I mentioned, the world wants to give a, a particular title or notation to a specific type of person. But I want to submit to you this morning that if you are a disciple of Christ, in God's eyes, you are a saint. If you are a saint, that means that we do saintly things, not by the world's definition, but by the Bible's definition. We look at the characteristics of a saint. We know that the saints love the law of God, that they really embrace the moral law. And, it, and it's not past a saint to truly stand up for these laws. And when we look at the laws, they're quite simple. Do not lie, do not murder, do not covet, do not commit adultery, serve the Lord your God. These are quite simple, but these are characteristics of a saint. A saint is known to be somebody who upholds the values of God. And when we uphold the values of God, we're going to look at this particular word next. So we've covered that the saints are ch um, children by the will of God. Next, we see that a saint is faithful. Well, to be faithful, you have to be taught what faith is. And this is a gift by God. God gives us the gift of faith in him, that we may trust in him. This is not something that we can pick up on our own. This is a gift, again, of the Lord. We can ask God to increase our faith. We can ask God to even give us faith. But we in ourselves cannot muster up faith. This is a gift from God. So when we look at the faithful, we see that the faithful respond to God's call. God draws man in draws him to Christ, and the Christian responds. Not only did we see that in the verses that we just read, but we've covered it before in Acts 2.38 and Acts 5.32, where when God calls and we obey to that calling in a form of repentance and baptism, he gives us his Holy Spirit. Acts 5.38 says that God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Well, when God calls you and you respond to that call and you're drawn to God and you put your trust in God and you realize that it's the Holy God who is calling you, in this response, 
When you respond with a heart that gives your heart to God, God gives you his spirit. God gives you himself and he puts his Holy Spirit inside of you that you may become a new creation, that you may become a new person. Naturally, as humans, we're not faithful towards anything truly but ourselves. We can be faithful to our spouse, but even that is limited in our own carnal flesh, in our own abilities. So God gives us his strength, gives us his spirit, gives us his power so that we can be faithful. The next thing the faithful realize as a Christian, you're not a citizen of earth. You now realize that you are a citizen of heaven, as it says in Philippians 3.20. Paul writes to the Philippians and he says, you are now citizens of heaven. That we're passing through earth <coughs> temporarily. This is just a standby, a, a, a delay, if you will, or a, a stop. But in light of eternity, we live in heaven. A Christian has a new mindset and a new affinity, a new orientation, if you will. And they realize that they're not of this earth. And they have a new outlook on life. They look at God differently, but they also look at the things of the earth differently. They see the earth, and they realize that everything here is temporal. Everything here is temporary. It's passing. The grass is passing. The buildings are passing. The lives on earth are passing. Everything about earth, even earth itself, will become new. We know that the old earth passes away, and we get a new earth. That God makes things new. And the Christian understands that. They have a new outlook on the world and they realize that the world is full of decay. It's full of depravity and full of sin. As you become a Christian, you become aware of these things around you. And you realize that your heart belongs to God in eternity. And as faithful... I really want to emphasize this because Christ emphasizes this. As Christians, we are faithful. We're faithful to God. We're faithful to his church. We're faithful to his kingdom. We're faithful to his word. We're faithful to his spirit. And we're faithful to other saints. We are faithful. But what does it mean to be faithful? You really shouldn't have to look further than your own relationship if you're married with your spouse. Okay? As children, you're not married, so obviously you can't look to your spouse, but you can look to your parents. And hopefully your parents have been faithful in parenting you and providing you with love and nourishment and, and training you in, in godly values. As faithful... As a Christian, we realize that God has called us to be his children. This is not something that is created by our own power or man's power. This is something that has been designated to us by God. And because it's been designated to us by God, it takes on a whole different meaning. 
How often have we been given something by man and we're just like, you know, that's not for us. And we just turn it away and we realize another opportunity is going to come up down the line. But scripture teaches us that when God calls us, that the Christian responds. That we have a particular response in our hearts because we've been drawn to God and we recognize that there's this incredible and special love behind this calling. That God has something more for us than a normal life here on earth. That not only does he have a special plan for us here on earth, but he has a special role for us in light of eternity. We have been called to be his children, his saints. And therefore we will be with him forever. So when it comes to understanding that God has given us certain responsibility as his children, even as children, when I grew up, I had chores around the house. There were particular things that my parents expected me to do. Well, in the family of God, it's no different. We as Christians, we as saints, we as his faithful have particular chores. And we know one of those chores is not only to minister to our family, but to minister unto God. How do we minister unto God? Well, as Christians, we realize that we've been called into something special. In addition, as Christians, we realize that by the blood of Christ and through his redemptive work on the cross, we have received a forgiveness of sins and salvation. As we look at, into the world this morning, God is breaking my heart for the lost. You know, a lot, I used to think that, you know, people had a decision to make. Oh, here's God, and here's the world. Make a choice. Well, if I was to put a blindfold over your eyes and tell you to make a choice, do you think without smelling or touching that you would be able to make a good choice between A or B if you couldn't see them? Well, Scripture is teaching me, the Spirit is teaching me that there is a blindfold over the eyes of the lost. And they can't see their own nakedness. They can't see their own sin. They can't see their own hurt. They can't see what they're doing to each other and to themselves. And this is why on the cross, Jesus says, forgive them for they know not what they do. Well, the lost really has no clue that they're hurting themselves and that they're hurting God. They have no clue that they're living for today instead of eternity. They've had blindfolds put over their eyes. They've had a veil put over their heart, and their heart is hard as stone. And so we have to pray as God's faithful to break this heart of stone so that we can get to the soft stuff inside so that we can reach a lost and broken world. If you think about your salvation in Christ this morning, we're thankful as saints, we rejoice in God's faithfulness that he has called us to redemption and that our sins have been forgiven. 
that we have received salvation. But it didn't stop there. God gave us his spirit, and he gives us an infinite amount of blessings. We as Christians get to experience these things. We get to walk in God's presence and his love. The veil has been torn back. Jesus has made a way for us to be with the Father and to receive his love and his blessings. But there's a whole world out there this morning that is broken, that is hurt, that is dying, that does not realize the love of Christ this morning. They don't realize the love of the Father. And so as God's faithful, one of the things that he's asking us to be faithful in is the duties that he's given to us. The scripture that I want to point out to you this morning, if you look at Luke, And then 16.10, it says, One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. As Christians, we've been called to be faithful not only in the small duties, but as we're faithful in the small duties, God sees our faithfulness, and he imparts on us bigger and bigger duties. As I live my life, if I fulfill the responsibilities that have placed before me, you have to look no further than maybe your job. As you're given responsibilities at work and you fulfill those responsibilities in a proper manner, in a diligent manner, your boss looks upon you and says, well, you handled that very well. You can handle more responsibility. Perhaps I'll make you a supervisor or a manager. Perhaps I'll give you um, responsibility over a whole area in the company. Well, God is no different. As we're faithful in small matters, and we think of small matters, something small as going to church, something small as ministering to somebody else, something as small as caring for one another, the family. God sees that you're diligent in these manners, and then he places upon you greater and greater responsibility. Oftentimes, as people, we're like, yeah, I would like to be that person. I would like to do those things. Well, we have to ask ourselves, before we can do greater things in the church, we have to ask ourselves if we're being faithful to the small duties, to the simple things the ABCs, the one, two, threes of our faith. Are we having to be rebuked or reminded of things? Is the Spirit convicting us because we're not diligent in certain matters? You know, that inner voice in our head that's telling you to obey God? That's the Spirit talking to you. Well, as God talks to you, what is your response like? Are you faithful in those matters? As Christians, we're called to be faithful. As we're faithful in the small duties, in the small teachings, God gives us bigger and bigger and bigger responsibilities and bigger teachings so that we can increase our insight and our wisdom. When we start school, we start off in kindergarten or preschool and we learn the ABCs. <coughs> By the time we graduate, we're writing. 
We're doing complicated math. We're doing things that we couldn't do in the beginning. Why? Because we're learning, and through an increase of responsibility, we're able to do greater and greater things. Just like that, as a Christian, it's no different. As God gives us small responsibilities, the simple things in life, not only does he look to those things to say, well, this person's faithful, I can give them more. But on top of that, if we're faithful in the small things, we can expect from the Father the blessings for those small things, for being diligent in those small areas of life. For most people, it's not intuitive to forgive. But when you forgive, there's a release in your heart and peace and joy comes in. It's really hard to conceive that because everything natural about us wants to get back at somebody. But when we hand that over to God and we say, God, I trust you in this matter, that's what really forgiveness means. That I am deflecting my hurt and I'm handing it over to God so that he can deal with it. God's peace. God says that if you forgive, you too will be forgiven. As we forgive, we receive the blessing of being forgiven. As we're faithful in these matters, God continues to increase our responsibility as well as our blessings. Now, faithfulness is something that, as a Christian, we realize is not a once-a-day or twice-a-day thing. We're not called to be faithful just on Wednesday or Sunday. If we look at Revelations 2.10, in Revelation 2.10 it says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And again in 17.14 of the same book, In 1714, it says, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called and chosen and faithful. As a Christian, we are called to be faithful, not just in daily matters, but every day, every moment of our lives, all the way up until death. God says that those who God considers as his children must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Okay? God is a spirit. So in order to worship him, we must be spiritual to worship him. God wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's look at that. What does it mean to worship him in spirit? Well, the first thing is, is that we receive the spirit. That we can't truly worship him without the spirit of God in us. But it also means this. As Christians, we exhibit 
a spirit or an attitude, if you will, of worship. That our life song, just like the song we sang earlier, is an attitude of worship. That as we go through life, our life generally points to God. That in everything we do, we're mindful of God, his teachings, his spirit, who Christ is, and who we are in Christ. And that's how we live our lives. We now live our lives in a spirit or attitude of worshiping God. So that everything we do points to glorifying God. This is a shift. Before in life, everything we did pointed towards us. So we become Christians. We realize to be faithful to the house of God, we now shift our allegiance from ourselves to the kingdom of God and to Christ. We now live for God. And no scripture, in my opinion, is more powerful in expressing this than Galatians 2.20. Galatian 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that powerful? You realize that you are no longer living for yourself, but the Holy God has taken residence inside your body. And you are now living for him. You are now living for a greater purpose, a greater kingdom, something that's going to last for eternity. Scripture says, why should a man gain the whole world and lose his soul? Why would you gain everything but forfeit the one thing that lasts for eternity and cast it into hell? As the faithful, we realize that we now live for Christ, which brings us to Christ himself. As a Christian, and I encourage you to read this this week, John 15, as a Christian, we realize that we can do nothing without Jesus Christ. We can do nothing. The Christian lives for Christ. He abides in Christ. Christ is his all. And he trusts in Christ for everything. John 15, 4 through 6, it says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself and let it, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So the Christian realizes that he can do nothing if he is separated from Christ. Christ is his all, and Christ is his life source, if you will, which connects him to the Father. The next thing that we see is that the Christian abides in the Word. In John 
it says this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Remember I was saying that we must worship in spirit and truth? Well, God gives us a spirit, but the word is truth. If we abide in the word of God, we abide in truth. Lastly, we know from 1 John 4, 13. In 1 John 4, 13, it says this. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. This morning I blogged, or not this morning, but this week I blogged about how do we know that we're a child of God? Well, this scripture clearly tells us that we know that we are a child of God because we have the Holy Spirit. How do we know we have the Holy Spirit? Does the Spirit send us a note saying, hey, I am now living in you? Did we get a message from God? How do we know? Well, something happens to the Christian. As you become a Christian, something that may kind of perplex you starts to occur in your body. The Holy God has now taken residence inside of you. God is holy. We know that God hates sin. One of the first things that you may start to feel is this awareness of sin, not only in yourself, but around you. This awareness of sin is the first clue that the Holy Spirit is now inside of you. You're going to feel maybe not that good about yourself. You're going to feel like maybe you're falling short. Maybe you're not cutting the mustard, so to speak, as a child of God. That, that there's this mark up here that God wants you to live by, and now you realize that you've been stuck down here in the mire, in the mud. And you realize that there's some things in your own life that need to be cleaned out. Maybe it's being more honest and not lying anymore. Maybe it's being... Uh, more forthright with your business dealings or money, or maybe it's just in how you treat people. These things start to surface and they bubble in the Christian and the Christian becomes aware of them. And as a Christian, you may say to yourself, oh my goodness, I can't believe I am this person. If you're saying those kinds of things to yourself, or I can't believe that this happened, I can't believe that I did these things, I can't believe I thought these things, these are revelations from the Spirit of God pertaining to the sin in your life. As you become more and more aware of the sin in your life, you realize the path to holiness. You see the sin, you're like, oh, that's sin, I'm aware of it. God is putting that awareness in your life so you can walk away from it. So you can guard yourself against it. So that's the first mark. The Holy Spirit gives us an awareness of sin. 
The next thing it says in John, in chapter 16, is that the Holy Spirit will give us a thirst, an affinity, um, a want for the truth. That when we hear the truth, the truth in us, the Holy Spirit, receives the truth that he wrote in the Word, and they align themselves. And what happens is we become inclined to believe that truth. God's power is speaking to us and is telling us that this truth is a blessing from God. Well, just like the Holy Spirit warns us of sin so that we can stay away from sin, the Holy Spirit gives us awareness of the truth so we can walk in the truth. The Holy Spirit enlightens this. The last thing that the Holy Spirit does, as we look at John 16, is that the Holy Spirit gives the natural man a regeneration so that they now live for Jesus Christ. These three markings are the characteristics and the qualities of a Christian. Number one, they hate sin. Number two, they love God's truth. And number three, they can't help but to worship Jesus. They love Jesus. You say Jesus and they perk up. You talk about the word, you talk about the kingdom, and a Christian starts to get excited. Why? Because the Holy Spirit inside them wants to glorify God. They want the Holy Spirit inside of you wants to attract you to God so that you want more and more of God. So that you desire him more than anything on this earth. Desire him more than yourself, more than your spouse, more than your children. That God becomes your all. These are the three things that the Holy Spirit does. And when you add them up together, you actually become a new person. If you were to go to your high school reunion, they'd be like, hey, you were so into this, and now you're into Jesus? What's gotten into you? The Holy Spirit. God has gotten into me and has enlightened me and has given me eyes to see a spiritual world in a decaying one. That there's actually hope here. One of the things that I was convicted of when Sister Lynn told me this. She's like, you want the church to grow, you need to pray. And I'm thinking to myself, I pray. No, I don't. It's not like God wants me to do. God wants me to lock myself up in my prayer closet, throw away the key, and stay there for hours. Not five or ten minutes and just kind of like go through the motions. If our buddy or our best friend or our spouse came over and was to sit on the couch next to us and have a conversation and they sit for five minutes and get up and leave, how would you feel? And this is what we do to God in our prayer chamber. And I'm becoming convicted that if I really want to reach the lost and we want to see the scales of darkness peeled away from people's eyes, we got to hit our prayer closets hard. we got to pray for the lost. If there's somebody in our family or in our relationship going through life and we know that they need God but yet they're not with Him, 
We have to get on our knees and pray. We have to ask God to intervene. We have to get serious about this. Because I realize that there are thousands upon thousands every day going to hell. Literally going to hell. And they have no clue that they're living for themselves and that they're not living for God. And they have no idea where they're headed. Well, we know. We know the truth. So a Christian is marked by these three things. And we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pray. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And we can lift up those around us. We can lift up our brothers, our sisters, our moms, our dads, our children. We can lift up our co-workers, our neighbors, those that we encounter at school. You know, and somebody's mean out there, pray for them. Pray that God hits their heart so hard that they become soft. We need God's power to soften this this decaying world. It's a world of stone. And unless we have God's power, we're never going to crack through that surface. And I know we've all experienced it. We've gone and we've tried to share Christ and like, hey, maybe I can get this one person to the church. I know we've all done that. And then it's met with deaf ears and this rock hard heart. And it's like, how do I impermeate this? How do I crack this heart? The only thing that can crack a heart of stone is God's power. And so I'm asking us as a church, pray. Get in your prayer closets. Close that door and pray. And if you can't pray for 15 minutes, pray for 10 and build up those muscles. Pray for two 10-minute sessions, whatever you need to do. And don't rely on yourself for the words. Bring your Bible into prayer and pray over the word. God, your word says this. It says to go out and teach the world. Well, God, I can't do this without you. I need your power. I need your love. I need you to break my heart for the lost. Which brings me to the last point. If you're struggling this morning with your relationship with God, I want you to know that as God is calling us to be faithful, there is nobody more faithful in the universe than the God Almighty. Even when we're not faithful, Christ is faithful. And he has imparted on us a special kind of love. A love that forgives you may look upon your own life and you may look upon your past and you may realize that you've done some things that maybe didn't please God. We've all done it. We've all hurt God. The one thing that is extremely special about God, and he writes it this way in 1 John 3, 1, is that God loves us so much that he is willing to forgive us when we turn to him says in 3.1, see what kind of love, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. If you're here this morning and God is tugging at your heart, 
for a deeper relationship with him. Respond. Don't be afraid. If Satan's in your head right now telling you that you're not worthy, that you could never be a Christian, and look at all the horrible things that you've done, you tell Satan to go away. Because right now, the Spirit of God is calling you. And he's not calling you just for today, but he's calling you for eternity. He's calling you for a special relationship with special blessings and special power for your life that comes with this special peace and this special joy that only God can give when we give him all our hearts. Most of us struggle because there are areas of our hearts that we refuse to give to God. We're not completely sold out on God's power. We're not completely sold out that this Christian thing is all that it should be, that it's all that it's cracked up and advertised to be. We will never know God's love and his full power until we give him all of our heart. When we give him all of our heart, God's power and his presence and his love overshadow and overtake us and rush over us that we can't help but being immersed in his love. But most of us come into the church, we hear the message, and there's reservations. There's like, can I be completely sold out and become a Jesus freak? Can I, can I fully give my heart to God? What will people think of me? What will the neighbors say? Will I still enjoy life? And we start to think, well, if I do these things, life's going to be, it's not going to be so much fun anymore. There is nothing like being in God's presence. When you are in the presence of God, there is nothing like it. There's no drug like it. There's nothing that money can buy that's like it. There's no amusement ride that's like it. There's no video game that's like it. You can't hit a home run far enough to even match it. God's presence, his power, his love, when you're in that, is worth more than anything else in the world. And once you realize that you're in the presence of a holy God, and that goes away, you will get do everything you can to get it back. That's why David says in Psalms, Create in me a clean heart, and Lord, do not take your spirit away from me. Do not take your spirit away from me. If we can't live without God, imagine being without your loved ones. God says, I'm infinitely greater, infinitely more pleasing infinitely more rewarding. Saying, come, 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 and be with me. Give your hearts to me and give your life to me. And watch incredible peace and joy overtake your life. Let's pray. Father Almighty, we praise you. We thank you so much for being an incredible God. There is no one like you. So, Lord, as we come together, 
We just ask that you would bless this church and infuse them with your power, your peace, and your joy. And as a response, Lord, that we would, we can't help but sharing who you are with our families and our friends and the world. Lord, right now we pray for a lost world that's hurting. We pray that you would use us as your children, as your chosen vessels, to reach a world that is dying. That there is life in Christ. There's life in the Word, life in the Spirit. There is life in you, Father. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us the courage, the boldness, the strength, the means to simply offer your love. And, Lord, I pray for those that may be hurting this morning, those that have questions, those that may be uncertain, that you would give them peace, that you would give them certainty and assurance, that you would draw them by your divine power like no one else can. Thank you for calling us to be your children. In Jesus' name, amen.